0: Hello, my name is Anne. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anne. Uh, good morning. My name's Ollie, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the ministers of our church. I've been on a couple of weeks of leave, first week back. Great to see you all again. So it's uh, wonderful to be here gathered as God's people, isn't it, as we sit under God's word. Now, in a minute, I'm going to pray, but uh, you might like to open up your newsletter and follow along on the outline there. Uh, that might help you as you follow along. And as we work through this passage, it will be great if you kept Your Bible open at Matthew chapter 1 as well. But how about I'll, I'll pray. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is like seeds scattered across the world. As it lands on us today, may it take hold in us and produce fruit a hundredfold. May we be the good soil that Jesus talks about. And may you use your word to grow us in love for you and in love for each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you feel at Christmas time? How do you feel at Christmas time? Uh, that's a question I've been reflecting on a little bit recently because Levi's starting to get old enough now to appreciate Christmas and to get excited about it. And in fact, just this week, it's interesting you mentioned it, John, just this week we set up our Christmas tree at home. Uh, Levi helped out with it. Uh, there's him helping out. He's very excited to be helping set up the Christmas tree. Uh, He's quite excited, but I've also noticed he's now starting to go around singing Christmas songs. I heard him singing Jingle Bells the other day. I don't know where he learned it, but somehow he's learned that. He's now watching Christmas Peppa Pig episodes, so that's been uh, interesting as well. So he seems to be kind of absorbing it more. So the other day I asked him, I said, Levi, how are you feeling about Christmas? Do you know how he replied? He said, Thomas, I want Thomas for Christmas. I don't think he quite understood the question, but it still shows how he's feeling about Christmas. He's feeling excited. He's feeling excited, particularly about the presents. And I suspect if we were to go and ask many of the kids in our church how they're feeling, that would be a similar answer they might give. They're feeling excited. Excited for the presents. Excited for the holidays. Excited for times with cousins. Excited for great food to eat. How do they feel at Christmas? Excited. Excited. But as we get older, perhaps the excitement dies down a bit and it's replaced by other feelings. If someone was to ask us, how do you feel at Christmas? Perhaps we would say stressed and busy. We feel stressed and busy at work as we finish everything for the year. Stressed and busy in life as we battle the hordes at Chaddy, trying to get all the presents bought and wrapped. Stressed and busy as we go from Christmas event to Christmas event with barely a moment to ourselves. Or maybe we'd answer that we're feeling happy and content. Maybe there's wide smiles as we set up the Christmas tree, deep satisfaction as we give and receive gifts with our loved ones, extreme contentment as we sit around the dinner table and eat that Christmas meal together. Or maybe it's nothing so pleasant. Instead, maybe we feel sadness, just an overwhelming sense Of grief and despair we feel the sadness of that empty seat at the Christmas dinner table we feel the bitterness of the unfulfilled desires for marriage of children we feel isolation of our loved ones being overseas or interstate see there are all sorts of things we might be feeling at Christmas time and so I wonder how do you feel at Christmas Well, today we're going to look at that first story of Christmas, and when we do, we'll see that actually what they were feeling is quite different to what we might have expected. Rather than the storybook Christmas that we're used to, the first Christmas was actually scandalous, shameful, and shocking. And seeing what they felt might help us to see the kinds of things that we could feel. And so the first thing we see is the scandal of it all. A virgin pregnant. If we're familiar with the story, then it can be easy to lose that scandal. But just think what a scandalous thing this was. Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married, which of course would have been a deeply exciting, a deeply joyful time. Uh, We've got quite a few couples in our church that have just got engaged, and it's an exciting time for all of us as we celebrate with them. But particularly for them, as they begin to plan the wedding and as they begin to plan a lifetime together, And I'm sure there was similar excitement for Joseph and Mary until Mary gets pregnant. Have a look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now imagine what an awkward conversation that must have been as Mary told Joseph. Joseph, honey, you know I love you. You know I always appreciate you, you know I always love being with you, but I've got something to tell you. I mean, it must have been so awkward. Mary is pregnant, yet she's engaged to Joseph, and he's not the father. In fact, it sounds like something we might read in one of those tacky gossip magazines, Women's Weekly, or or that kind of thing. Or maybe something we might see on those trashy reality TV shows, The the Real Housewives of Bethlehem, or or something like that. It's the kind of thing that would have got tongues wagging, wouldn't it? Did you hear about Mary? She's pregnant, and Joseph is not the dad. I mean, this is a tremendously scandalous thing. An engaged virgin, pregnant. And if it's still scandalous to us, with their anything-goes-play-by-your-own-rules culture, then how much more scandalous for them in their anything-does-not-go-abide-by-God's-rules culture. In fact, so scandalous was this that at the time, the penalty for this, for adultery, which is what they thought it was, the penalty for this could be death, which might sound harsh to us, but it shows us just how severe this is. They took sexual purity important, um, seriously, which all means that for Mary, she had a lifetime of hardship ahead. Not just dirty looks and cutting comments from other women, but a lifetime of struggle and loneliness, a lifetime of being thought of as that one who betrayed her partner, a lifetime of being thought about as the woman who got pregnant outside of marriage, And that's all, of course, if she survived, because she faced the real possibility of death. And so what was that first Christmas like? It was a time of incredible scandal. Do we we feel that? Do we feel the scandal? The scandal of a virgin pregnant? On top of the scandal, there was also incredible shame. The shame of a spouse betrayed See, imagine being Joseph here. Imagine finding out that your fiance, the woman you love and that you're committed to spending your lifetime with, imagine finding out that she is pregnant and you are not the dad. Imagine how heartbroken he must have felt. Imagine the sickness in the pit of his stomach as he heard, as he thought to himself, how could she do this to me? But it's not only painful, it is painful, but it's not only painful. It's also a deeply shameful thing for Joseph. Everyone would have looked on him and gossiped about his situation. They might have whispered to each other about all the things he must have done that made Mary cheat on him. And maybe even laughed at the fact that this all went on behind his back and he had no idea what was happening. See, so there aren't many more things humil- more humiliating than your partner sleeping around. And that is what the neighbors would have assumed Mary had done. And so now Joseph is in for a lifetime of people whispering behind his back, that's Joseph. He's the one that got cheated on. His fiancee went and got pregnant just before their marriage. Imagine the shame of this. The shame of a spouse betrayed by the one closest to him. And so in light of that, it's actually quite amazing that Joseph responds in the way that he did. Did you see what he plans to do? Have a look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So even as his heart was breaking, even as his shoulders were slumped by humiliation and shame, Still, Joseph has mercy. He would have been well within his rights to go and tell everyone exactly what had happened and to punish Mary to the full extent of the law. And yet he doesn't. Rather than make her pay for the shame and the sorrow and the sadness that she's caused, instead he has mercy and decides to split up quietly. It's a remarkable thing. Despite the shame, Joseph acts with incredible integrity. And what we see then in the, the shame and the scandal of this story is that the story of Christmas isn't what we're used to. In our house, the bedtime routine for Levi's that will brush his teeth, and then we'll go into his room, we'll sing a few songs, and we'll read a bit of the Bible. As Christmas approaches, I've been reading the, the Christmas story with Jesus, but the story they give in all those picture books is nothing like this. It doesn't quite capture the scandal. It doesn't quite capture the shame It doesn't capture the outrage and the disgust that people would have felt when they heard. It doesn't capture the friendships that might have been lost as people no longer want to spend time with Mary. It doesn't capture the pain and the betrayal that Joseph must have felt or the the tears shed at the woman he loved cheating on him. It doesn't capture any of that. Yet this is the reality of Christmas. Do you feel the scandal A virgin pregnant. Do you feel the shame a spouse betrayed? But here's the shock. All of this was God's doing. God is the one orchestrating the shame and the scandal. It is God at work. Just as Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly, something happens. We might be familiar with the story. An angel appears. And tells him that this is all God's doing. Have a look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Mary is in fact still a virgin. She has not been unfaithful to Joseph. And she is actually pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God which is a shocking thing to hear. I'm sure Joseph was shocked to hear this, and we should be shocked to hear it. Now, we sometimes do come across shocking stories. I was reflecting on this a bit. I think one that was shocking for me. don't know if you remember what it was like when you heard, but remember when Arnie it came out that Arnie had a love child with his maid? Now, that was a shocking story. Some stories are shocking. Or, what about the other a couple of months ago on, on October 7th? Maybe you were shocked when you heard that. It was, a, it was a horrific thing the Hamas attacks on Israel, the terrorists that slipped across the border and killed innocent women and children. It's a terribly, terrible and shocking thing to hear. And some stories are like that, aren't they? Some stories take our breath away. But as shocking as those stories might be, this is far more shocking a million times more shocking but the shock isn't just that a teenage girl got pregnant and her father wasn't a boyfriend it isn't just that a young guy decided to stick by his girl even though he wasn't the father of her baby those are shocking but the real shock here is that God is the one who orchestrated this that God is the one who brought about all of this shame and scandal this is God at work and this is the God of the Bible. He's a God who gets involved. He's a God who turns lives upside down, who doesn't act as we might expect. See, God doesn't always do what we think he should or what we might expect he will. And nowhere is that clearer than here. The birth of Jesus. That fulfilled God's promises in ways that just no one expected. Do you feel the shock of this? The shock of God at work? And what was the point of it all? Of the shocking scandal and the shocking shame? Well, ultimately, it was all so that we might feel secure. Secure in the salvation that God offers. We see that salvation offered, particularly in the two names given to Jesus. For us 21st century Westerners, picking a name is a big deal. I remember with the birth of both of our boys, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we would call them. Lists were compiled, names were added, names were culled. And by the end of it, Cassie and I both decided that picking girl names is much easier than picking boy names. It's not an easy thing to pick boy names. But if it's such a big deal to us, and it is because names matter, it's what they're gonna be called for a lifetime. But if that's the case for us, it was a thousand times more important for them in their time. And that's because a name wasn't just what people addressed you by. A name carried meaning. It captured a little bit of who you were or who you were going to be. See, names carried incredible significance in Jewish culture. And so what was the name that this miraculous child was going to have? It's actually given two in our passage. Did you see both of them? The first is Jesus Which means God saves. Have a look at verse 21. Mary Mary will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. See, in his name, in the name of Jesus, we see exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to save people from their sins. He didn't come to be an ethicist or a philosopher. He didn't come to be a healer or an example. But to deal with sin. And what is sin? One of the ways I like to think about it, I like to describe it is sin is a spiritual sickness. Now we all know how bad physical sickness is. I was at the hospital the other day, saw a lot of sick people around. And it's, it's terrible to see. It's a, it's a heartbreaking thing to see people beset by sickness. Sickness destroys bodies and ruins lives. It crushes hopes and destroys dreams. It steals away vitality and it it extinguishes energy. Sickness is a terrible thing. But the reality is that we're all actually suffering from an even worse sickness. Not just a physical sickness, but a spiritual sickness. And it's because of this spiritual sickness that we see the brokenness of the world around us. See, this spiritual sickness is why we have a jail system and we need to lock people up. This spiritual sickness is why families break down and homes split up. This spiritual sickness is why we see wars begin, like the war in Russia and in Ukraine and Israel and Hamas. See, it's all because of this spiritual sickness. But it's not just the spiritual sickness that affects out there in the world around us. It is also inside of each and every one of us, in the usual ways we might think of, like sexual immorality or greed, but also in lots of other small ways, like impatience. I suspect many of us get quite impatient quite often when we're in a rush and that car in front of us is going so slow, a colleague at work is taking forever on that task we need to help with. Or what about frustration? When my computer plays up or my phone dies, I get frustrated, don't you? Now we might often think of those things as just character flaws, a little bit of an unpleasant thing, but not, not sin really. But actually, these are all part of that spiritual sickness that we all suffer from. It impacts in both big and little ways. It impacts out there and it impacts in here. And the underlying cause of that spiritual sickness is our fractured relationship with God. That is the heart of the problem. And it is that problem that Jesus came to deal with that Jesus came to save us from but did you notice for who did you see that in the text it is not for everyone it is not for the whole world it is only for his people did you see that in verse 21 it's a subtle point but it's an important one because it puts a line around who Jesus has come for It's a line that we either exclude ourselves from or bring ourselves in by trusting in Jesus. See, there is a necessary need for faith. We have to consider Jesus to be the one who saves us. And how can he save us? Well, It's because of his second name. Did you see that there? Look at verses 22 and 23. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, his other name is Emmanuel, which means, as it says, God with us. See, how is Jesus able to bring salvation? Because he is God come down. Have you ever stopped and reflected on what an incredible thing that is? The beginningless, all-powerful, almighty, infinite creator of the universe took on human nature without the loss of divinity. I love how J.I. Packer, the the famous theologian, puts it. Uh, This is what he says. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. It's incredible, isn't it? God became a baby. God became a baby. And why did he do all of that? It was to be with us. To be with me and to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. And again, I don't think we find this as amazing as we should. In the Old Testament, anytime anyone drew near to God, they were overcome with fear and trembling. And in fact, in the Old Testament, God was described in all sorts of unapproachable ways. God appears to Abraham as a smoking furnace, to Israel as a pillar of fire, to Job as a hurricane. Now, those are all things we don't want to approach. And do you remember what happens with the story of Moses? Moses and God are talking. And Moses says to God, God, I'd like to see you face to face. And God says to him, you cannot see me face to face. You would die if you saw me face to face. But God is willing to negotiate. And he says to Moses, I'll let you see my back though. And so Moses hides in a corner. God walks past, gets to see God's back as he walks. Then Moses goes back down the mountain And the second-hand glory that has passed from God to Moses, from just seeing his back, the second-hand glory is so much that the people of Israel can't even look at Moses. See, that is how unapproachable God is. Even just to get a glimpse of his back leaves such an impression that others cannot even look. That is how overwhelmingly great, how utterly fearsome, how completely unapproachable God is. And yet, in Jesus, that God comes to be with us. And so imagine if Moses was alive today and he heard that, what do you think he'd say? Maybe something like, do you, do, do you know what this means? That's exactly what I asked for, but I was denied. In Jesus, you get to meet God face to face. You can know God personally and without fear He can come into your life. I think most might ask us, do you you understand how incredible this is? Where's your joy? Where's your amazement at this wonderful fact? See, this is what we can have in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And why did he come to be with us? It was for our salvation, to save us from our sins. And he did that by dying to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God. And all of that is why we can feel so secure. Because Christmas shows us the extreme lengths that God was willing to go to to save us. See, if God, the author and creator of all things, went so far as to become a baby for us, then we can be secure. We can be secure. We can be secure in the fact that he will take care of us for all of eternity because he's willing to go to such extreme lengths so that we might be saved. And so then we come back to our our question from the start. How do you feel at Christmas? There might be all sorts of answers we could give to that. Happy or sad, joyful or sorrowful, busy or stressed, relaxed or content. Hopefully today as well, you'll see the scandal and the shame and the shock. But I want you to really feel the most above everything else is secure. Secure in knowing that God is with us. Jesus has come to rescue us from our sins. And there's something so comforting about that security, isn't there? I remember when I was a kid, I used to have, well, I still do, I used to have quite a vivid imagination. And so sometimes at night, I'd have nightmares about monsters sneaking into the room to devour me. I remember one time I was even lying there, I could hear my heart beating in my, in my chest, it was pumping in my ears, and I somehow convinced myself it wasn't my heart beating, it was actually footsteps of a monster coming down the hall, ready to eat me. And so what I'd do in those moments is I'd call out for my parents in fear and terror, I'd cry out for help, and they would come, and they would turn the light on, and they would come and sit next to me. And suddenly, there's such a sense of relief, such a sense of safety, such a sense of security, knowing that the one who could protect me from the monsters had come and was sitting there. And in a sense, that is what we have at Christmas time. But God has not just come into our bedroom, but into the world. And as he has, he hasn't just turned on the light, but he is the light, the light of the world. And now we don't just have safety from imagined monsters chased away, but safety from the the sickness of spiritual sickness, of sin. It is done away with it. It is gone. It can't accuse us anymore. It can't condemn us anymore because we are secure in our Heavenly Father's arms. I wonder, have you received that as you sit here today? Have you asked God to forgive you? If you haven't, then why not do it today? Why not rest secure in that salvation? But if you have already accepted it, if you already belong to Jesus, then I wonder how confident are you in that security? How confident? I heard the story recently of a, a traveler back in the, U, in the US, back in the pioneer days. He came to a, a wide river one winter afternoon. He was approaching the evening and he needed to get across the river but he couldn't, there was no bridge, but the river was covered with ice. The problem was he didn't know how thick the ice was, he didn't know whether it could hold his weight or not, and so with much, after much hesitation and with great trepidation, he gingerly tested the ice with his foot, and it held. And with night closing fast, he knew he had to get across, and so he got down on all fours, and he slowly started crawling across the ice, hand by hand, knee by knee, trying to evenly distribute his weight in the hope that the ice wouldn't crack. When he'd gone some distance, painfully and slowly, he suddenly heard a sound. Not the sound of ice cracking, but the sound of horses' hooves and a man singing. There in the twilight, he looked across and saw there was a man happily driving his wagon across the ice, loaded with coal, big heavy horse on the front and singing as he was going. See, that man on the wagon was on the same ice and he knew, he'd done it many times, he knew the ice was plenty thick enough to hold the weight, to hold the weight far more than that of the wagon and the horse uh, 10 times. He knew he was safe and so there was no fear at all. Now, both men were absolutely equally safe. Both men were on the same ice that could hold their weight easily, but one was aware of it. And so was singing joyfully, but one was not aware. So it was filled with fear and trepidation. And so all who have trusted in Jesus are on that thick ice, on ice that is far thick enough to hold our weight. Yet, how, how sure we are of that will determine how we feel. If we're like that man that doesn't know how thick the ice is, then we will be fear, filled with fear. But if we're like that man on the wagon, who's confident in the security, then we can sing. We can rejoice like he does. And so this Christmas, I hope you will think of the thickness of that ice. You will think of the security that is on offer in the salvation Jesus gives. Because he is God. Come down to be with us. There's nothing more secure in all the world. Nothing more secure. Nothing that can hold our weight better than the salvation of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful story of Christmas. Would you help us to continue to see it afresh every time, to see the scandal, the shame, and the shock of these events? But even more than that, would you help us to feel the security that comes from the salvation Jesus offers? Thank you that you care so much about us, that you came down into the world for our sake. Would you help us to be aware of that, to rejoice in that, and to trust in in you and the salvation you offer? Would you remind us of just how secure we are, that the ice can hold us, so we don't need to be crawling in fear, but can be running in joy? Thank you that Jesus is the one who provides this. It's in his name we pray. Amen.